Welcome back, creeps. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Enfield Part 3. Yes. I want to actually just update my um, sources really quick. So, obviously, there's the, the book by Guy Lion Playfair. This house is haunted. <laughs> but there's also a Channel 4 documentary, a BBC documentary, and um, a news report. A newspaper that I can't remember. I'll have to try and find it but i'm pretty sure it was like just the mirror or something okay yeah it was it was the the one that uh graham morris the photographer was working for okay so that before i forget and also our creep of the week this week is paul back home in dublin because i'm pretty sure he's listened to every episode since like the <laughs> beginning so thank you paul hey paul and we're gonna start this week with dulce's tarot card reading so today's tarot card is the page of cups reversed this is a card that represents emotional immaturity. So today's message is, be gentle with yourself today and be sure to set aside some time for daydreaming. It's okay to say no to invitations or to leave an unpleasant or uncomfortable situation. Having good emotional boundaries is essential to restoring your energy on days like today. There you go. Nice. Thank you very much. Also, before we get into it, don't forget to check out Dulce's makeup channel. Dulce's Recreation. Also, don't forget to give us a nice rating and review on Spotify or iTunes or wherever. And uh, if you're listening on Audible, thank you. Apparently, Audible is now recommending us to people. So that's good. That's cool. Yeah. Anyway, getting on into the story because we have approximately 58 minutes to record this episode (laughs) all right let's get into it after janet seemed to recover from these weird episodes last week in case you all remember the two brazilian spiritists had just left the house and janet had been going through these horrific episodes but they seemed very similar to what in most cases might be considered possession without ever using the word possession yeah (laughs) Either way, she seemed to get back to her normal self. The activity was growing stronger, though. And as December 1977 came around, the incidents were getting downright terrifying. Mm. Ten points if you get that reference. Seriously, though, the fridge was pulled out of place, slamming the door so hard that it was dented. The heavy wooden bed was flipped over and the girls and regular Peggy were now being physically affected. They would get pinched and slapped and weirdly like groped, but like not in a sexual way. It was just like they could feel hands on them, even yeah. though like they'd be looking and there wouldn't be anything there. Obviously. Yeah. And this was all going on while the lights were on and while there were witnesses. This whole episode is just December, actually December and a little bit of January 1977, 1978. So in the first week of December, three particularly strange incidents occurred. Janet was going to call into Peggy next door one evening and as she got to the front door of the Nottinghams, it just swung open for her. She looked behind the door, but there was nobody home. She called out, nothing. Then the door closed itself on her and when she ran back into her own house, something grabbed her, like by the waist, carried her halfway up the stairs and just dropped her. What the fuck? Yeah. Now, thankfully, she was fine, but this was one of the few things that, like, really got to her. This was... Of course. She was very... Yeah, but, like, she's a very resilient and almost just, like, 
so tired of everything. Maybe it had to do with it like being outside of the house. It could have been you know that, what I mean? yeah. And like later on in the uh, story, or later on in the book, like Guy Playfair does say, kind of like the way they slept through weird things. Uh-huh. He'd be like, "It never ceased to amaze me what this, how this family could just carry on a normal conversation amidst all of this activity. Like literally, yeah. stuff would be flying around the room." And they'd be reacting to it. They'd be like, oh, my God, a slipper just flew up my face or whatever. Yeah. And then Janet would just stop and be like, Mom, do you like Max Brentwood? And, <laughs> and Peggy would be like, yeah, I like Max. And then shit would go nuts again. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyway, a few days after she was just thrown on the stairs, Brenda Burkham, a cousin from a few doors down. Remember John, his family that lives six yeah. doors down. Brenda's the daughter. So she was calling into the house and knocked on the door knowing that her dad and the Hodgsons were inside. When nobody answered the first time, she knocked again and saw the curtain move in the living room. The face of Morris Gross looked out at her, acknowledged her, and then through the glass panel of the door, the front door, she saw Morris going up the stairs. He stopped on the stairs, turned to look at her, and then just went on up the stairs, ignoring her again. Huh. So she knocked a third time, and Peggy came down from upstairs to let her in. Obviously, Brenda was like, the fuck is Morris's problem? Yeah. And Peggy told her that Morris had actually been in the room with them the whole time. Whoa. Yeah. And Morris was just like delightfully uh, excited about this. He's like, oh, it appears we have a double. <laughs> That's it. Like, I thought this was terrifying. It's so English. And like some things in this story, I'm like, that is some of the scariest shit that I've ever read. Yeah, that is. And they'll be giggling at it. I would be fucking Like, the terrifying. adults and the kids. Like. Yeah. Anyway, the next episode happened at 1.20 a.m. on December 3rd, as Morris was getting ready to go home after what was supposedly a very active and tiring night in the Hodgson household. He was in the living room with John Burkham when they heard Peggy shout, Janet! From the bedroom. <laughs> and when they ran out to go help, they found Janet. She was slowly sliding down the stairs, head first, and half asleep. How the fuck? Like a slow moving snake. Oh god, that's awful. When they carried her back up to her room and asked her what had happened, she told them... I'm a snake. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to get rid of all this dead skin. <laughs> no, she told them, I was in bed asleep. All of a sudden, I felt something pull me by the arms out of bed and I tripped over. And I went there pointing obviously over at the door and then it lifted me up and the door opened and I went flying downstairs Peggy had seen the door open all on its own and that's when she cried out mm -hmm. and when it happened again not even five minutes later Peggy said Janet was standing this time but it sounded as if something was dragging her along the carpet but like picture like a statue somebody like pulling the ankles of a statue along <sighs> the carpet so strange and, like, Janet would go into these weird, like, trance-like yeah. states, like, when this yeah. stuff would happen. But remember last week when there was a brief mention of Janet and Margaret seeming to share a dream when Guy had separated them for the night? Mm. Well, that seemed to be a growing thing. And they would often appear to be mumbling and calling out to each other in their sleep. And one night, Margaret shouted out, Go away, you ten little things, running about destroying people's things. And on another occasion... She sat up in bed, still asleep, and Morris handed her a pencil and paper, and she wrote out the numbers, one, two, three, all the way up to ten. 
John Burkham asked her who were the 10 things and she said, quote, still apparently asleep. Number one is a baby. Whoa. Number two is a little girl. Three is a big girl. Four is a very young girl, about 15. Five is a very old lady. Six is a young boy. Seven is getting on to be about 18. And eight is an old man. She paused. Number nine, I don't know what it is. He hasn't got a face. And number 10 has gone away. Then she suddenly exclaimed, Frank Watson. He had said nothing to her about Janet's drawing with the name Watson scrawled on it. Who is he? Burkham asked. The man who died in the chair downstairs, Rose replied at once. We already knew that Mr. Watson had died in the house, but we did not know where or what from. It was several months before Mrs. Harper learned from a neighbour that Mr. Watson had in fact died right where Rose said he had, in his chair in the living room. Wowzers. Yeah. So, like, one thing that I've learned, obviously I know that The Conjuring 2 is loosely based on this, but they've really just kind of picked and and chosen, yeah, cherry-picked, like, different things to make a very scary story. Yeah. But there's a lot more and a lot of, like, random stuff that really hasn't got anything to do with it. Yeah. But what I forgot to mention, I think, last week was in those drawings that um, Janet had been doing in her, like, semi-sedated state. She had drawn a woman, like, with blood all over her neck and... That was where the name Watson was. So Frank Watson's wife had died of a tumor in her throat. Oh. And like Janet could have not, like there was no way she had known this. Like, So that was another interesting thing. It's just things that they seem to know that they had no right knowing. Right. (laughs) And like after all these things would happen, Guy and Morris, they didn't play into anything. They were like, well, that happened. Let's leave it. Let's see if the kids bring it back up. Yeah. And then if they do, maybe that's a little bit more suspicious. Yeah. But for the most part, when they were in these like semi-trans states, they would never speak of these things again. Or it would come back up later in a completely unrelated manner from someone else. Yeah. Then came the noises. These high-pitched piercing whistles started to emanate, suspiciously enough, from Janet's general direction. They said it sounded a lot like how Vic Nottingham would greet his wife when he got home from work. And I only kept this piece of random information in because that's how your dad lets us know he's home from work. Or he'll start whistling at the dogs as he gets out of his truck. (laughs) And they go nuts. Mental. And they make the same noise back. (laughs) But as well as these whistles came that weird barking noise, which seemed like someone's very poor attempt at trying to sound like a dog. Mm hmm. It was the same noise that Janet and Johnny said they heard when they were on holidays by the beach. Guy and Morris only found out about this incident while Janet was under hypnosis. And in her hypnotic state, she blamed John, who was currently back in Egypt decrypting ancient hieroglyphic curses for the Queen of England and therefore (laughs) couldn't defend himself against such allegations. (laughs) But Peggy had also heard the sounds that night and had thought it was both the kids just like acting a maggot and gave out to them told them to go back to sleep yeah so again i think this was from the first episode but johnny thought it was her making the noise she thought it was johnny making the noise either way regular peggy came in and said cut that shit out go to sleep (laughs) i don't care who's doing it yeah but whatever it was causing the sounds janet told guy very sincerely when he first heard it that she couldn't even make that kind of noise 
And supposedly her very large teeth, which she did have very large teeth, stopped her from being able to whistle at all. Oh, wow. Now, I don't like, again, this was things that you couldn't prove because how do you prove that you can't do something? Like, you know what I mean? Because of your teeth, yeah. Yeah. Regardless of whether she was able to make these noises or not, it was very suspicious that they only ever came from her general direction. Mm. And that was definitely the case one evening when a couple of SPR members came over to lend a hand and see what they could see for themselves. One being a psychologist. And typically when the SPR members were over, there was usually at least one doctor. Okay. Now, whether it was a psychologist, a general practitioner or whatever, there typically was a doctor with them. But just after midnight, Morris decided he was going to challenge what they had decided to name Charlie. Okay. Charlie, he began. Do you think you could make those noises in the back room? Dr. Beloff and Mrs. Gregory were sitting in the back room discussing the case. Charlie couldn't or wouldn't. But as Gross left the bedroom, there were two very loud barks, which Margaret assured him seemed to come from underneath Janet's bed. It did not sound like the kind of vocal sound you would expect from a 12-year-old. Morris tried again. Come on, Charlie. You can whistle and bark so you can speak. I want you to call out my name, my complete name, Morris Gross. He went out of the room again, for at this stage there would never be any barks or whistles while we were near Janet. As soon as he was out of the room, Charlie barked out, Oh, Morris. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Morris did not hear this at the time as he was saying something to us in the back bedroom, but it was clearly audible on the tape, as is Janet's normal voice saying, It went Morris gross. Then her bed started to creak loudly and she complained that she was going up and down. While Margaret said something was trying to pull her pillow out from under her head, Morris went in and out of the room several times, repeating his request for a clearly spoken name, but only got an assortment of whistles, barks and oh sounds. Tell you what, said Morris, I'll give you a good name to say. Say Dr. Beloff. Come on, let me hear you say that. Doctor. That's how, that's my voice. That's my uh, ghost voice. Okay. Doctor. Doctor, the voice rasped as soon as Morris had shut the door behind him. Gross, gross. Charlie seemed to have become confused. It was a most extraordinary noise, which I could clearly hear through the closed door with my ear against it. It was loud and harsh, and it was unquestionably the voice of an old man. So this went on for some time. Morris would ask a question and sometimes get an answer, but other times he would just get grunts and whistles. And it would only ever answer when the door was closed, remember? Yeah. So When they weren't in the room. Yeah. Eventually, after repeatedly asking what its name was, they got the answer, Joe. Joe Watson. Not Charlie and not Frank, like Margaret had said earlier when telling them about the 10 little things. But when Morris asked if he knew if he was dead, Joe quickly answered, shut up. And I'm going to quote what Guy said to, to Joe because I think this really speaks to Guy's character. And remember, the, th- the thing never liked Guy. Mm-hmm. Throughout this whole thing, it would typically only ever like do as Morris requested. If Guy right. asked it to do anything, it just nothing would happen. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason. But anyway, Guy says, Listen, Brother Joe, it's time you realize that you are not alive. You are discarnate. You are dead. You are a ghost. You are a spirit. 
You are also wasting a lot of people's time, including your own. Why don't you move up towards the light where you will find people to help you and give you what you are looking for? Get off this plane. Now. Morris looked round the door. Are you going to go away now, Joe? He asked. No. (laughs) (laughs) So then Guy went back in. Listen, Joe, old sport. We would like to help you, but you've got to tell us what you want. We're not getting mad with you. I'm sorry for you because you're causing yourself a lot of trouble and you're going to have to pay for all this in the future. (laughs) You're going to be made suffer in exactly the same way you've made all these innocent people here suffer. So it it sounds like what I imagine, like a stepdad coming in to have that cool talk with the young teenager. Like, it's really (laughs) awkward. Like, hey, brother Joe, listen, old sport. Yeah. Um, So when Guy went on, he said, are you with me so far? Joe growled, fuck off. Whoa. <laughs> as soon, yeah, as soon as he was gone. So Guy said, I don't mind whether you believe me or not. Will you just think it over? Good night. Sleep well. And as he left the room, Joe said, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. But like... Very childish. And as soon uh, as Joe said, shit, <laughs> the two girls started giggling and Janet yeah. was like, oh my God, did you hear that? He said S-H-I-T. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they all took turns asking questions that night, but mostly all they got was silence or abuse. And the only <laughs> thing that Joe, as it was now called, seemed to want was music, specifically jazz music for some reason. Interesting. They were all pretty blown away and... When Guy went home to review the tapes, he just became more convinced that this was not just Janet playing games. Although he did agree with Dr. Belloc, who was the psychologist from the SPR, that they would have to rule out ventriloquism. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe she just has a natural talent for, like, throwing her voice. But both Dr. Belloc and Anita Gregory were there the previous night, and they both came to the conclusion that the girls were faking the whole thing. Oh. Yeah, and more or less everybody that went there from the SBR came to that conclusion. They were like, you guys are putting way too much of your time into this. The girls are having you on. Interesting. The following night, which was December 12th, Morris again made contact with Joe. Only this time it wasn't Joe, although the voice sounded the exact same. This time it said it was Bill and that he lived in the house. He was 60 years old and had a dog named Gober the Ghost. <laughs> Again, Gober. Gober. But apparently Gober was like a side character in Casper the Friendly Ghost. Really? Like the really old TV show. No, yeah. I So maybe it was like more of a common thing. Who knows? But Guy and Morris were actually, I'd tell you who knows, people who watched the show, they would, they would know. <laughs> or if I had researched it, I would probably know. But Guy and Morris were trying to think up ways to get Janet and Bill talking at the same time. So they decided they would have a sing-song together in the bedroom. Because that's kind of where these experiments would start every night. Like The activity would go on at all hours throughout the day. But when it came time to go to bed, that's when they would be like, all right, now we're guaranteed something is going to happen. So anyway, at this point, Bill was still only answering when the door was closed. So Morris said, <laughs> Morris said he would stand in the corner facing the wall while they all sang and Guy would be in the back bedroom listening to what he what was being recorded 
through his headphones because he had run a cable with a microphone on it underneath one of the beds. Mm -hmm. Now, they all knew that, but that was just where he put it so nobody could kick it or anything. Yeah. And can you guess the song that they decided to sing? Happy birthday. No. Do you remember this from the movie at all? No. Give me your what? Give me your answer, do. Oh, like, all right. give me your answer. Okay. My guess was way off. So it wasn't happy birthday. It was not happy birthday. Okay. But if you remember the song, or if you remember the film, The Conjuring 2, that's the song that would be sung. But obviously the song is like lovely and happy. It's like, Daisy, Daisy. But in the film, it was like, Daisy. And everything is slowed down and like <laughs> yeah. really creepy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Bill did join in because, you know, who's not going to sing along with that song? Right. Because everyone knows the words. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was not King Cole. So I guess back then it was like probably a pretty in song. But as Guy listened from the other room, he said that Janet and Bill's voice would come in and out at random, switching over seamlessly, but never being heard at the same time. Weird. Yeah. And at one point, Bill started laughing and his quote, guttural bass suddenly blended into janet's girlish giggle Mm. right how fucking strange is that so it's like okay it's coming from janet because the two of them can never talk yeah but aside from the fact that this little girl is making this deep deep voice Mm -hmm. she's switching through it so seamlessly like almost mid-sentence like you know yeah yeah when asked was it just him and joe Bill informed them that there was actually 10 of them. Oh, shit. A reference back to the numbers. Yeah. So just like Margaret had told them. Right. But then Guy and Morris just left the girls to have a conversation with Bill while they sat in the other room. And Guy said that the flow of dialogue was just far too fluent for Janet to be making it up on the spot. Interesting. And I can definitely understand where he's coming from, because even sometimes when I leave a vague note Uh in my like notes for this i completely get off track like probably right now and i'll be like um uh and then this happened and uh yeah but the conversation was so natural it genuinely sounded like two people well three people margaret janet and bill just having this conversation yeah and like as well janet's reactions would be like oh my god like totally out like i can't believe he said that like yeah And Bill told him that he used to live there. And when Janet asked if he knew that he was dead, he responded, Yes, I come from the grave. Whoa. (laughs) But the girls are just giggling throughout this whole thing. Like, it's (laughs) terrifying. He's like, anyway. They're probably laughing because he sounds so old. Yeah, probably. Teenage girls will just tear you down. (laughs) 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 But Bill told him that he was buried in Durant's Park. And that he didn't believe in heaven because he was, quote, not a heaven man. And Margaret asked, you're not a heaven man. What's? But the voice interrupted Margaret with quite the most remarkable sequence of all of our conversations with it. It began to speak in bursts as if with some effort, one or two syllables at a time. My name is Bill Hobbs. 
which was changed later. It's actually Wilkins. And I come from Durant Park, and I am 72 years old, and I have come here to see my family, but they are not here now. So it was actually, like, really fucking sad. Yeah. Like, it really took a turn, and they were like, what the fuck? And Guy said, but once again, just when I felt we were getting somewhere, the spell was broken. As Bill interrupted Margaret's next question with an angry outburst, you fucking old bitch, shut up, I want some jazz music. <laughs> <laughs> now go on and get me somewhere else, I'll go balmy. What the fuck? Yeah, so it's like, <laughs> you get this little insight into a possible, like, real, uh, like, yeah. character, and then it's like, fuck off, get me some jazz music. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm getting an insight to, like, the times with your with your accent. <laughs> <laughs> But all in all, that session lasted about three hours. And like all of this, if this voice was coming out of Janet, that was three hours of her doing that voice. You know what I mean? This little girl, but she showed showed no signs like she wasn't like trying to clear her throat or anything like that. She was very natural still. And the whole time this conversation was going on or this session was going on, Guy and Morris had three tape recorders rolling. But Bill seemed to have messed with at least two of them. And they actually only managed... They they did capture the whole session. Uh-huh. But they had to piece it together from all three things. Okay. So, like, again, as this conversation is going, like, other shit is still going on all around them. Oh, like shit moving around. Shit moving around and just stuff being interrupted and fucked with. And okay. Whatever. And what have you. A couple of nights later, the voice of Joe was back. Not Bill or Charlie or whoever. It was Joe. And in the presence of two more SPR members, David Robertson and Hugh Pincott, he Joe asked, Why do girls have periods? Oh. Yeah, right. Which, again, is a very suspicious question for a supposedly elderly man to be asking. But no matter what, the SPR members and Guy and Morris, how they tried to steer the conversation, it kept coming back to, but why do girls have periods? <laughs> All right. So. Okay. Yeah. So Hugh Pincott, a very high up business executive from like an oil company. All these SPR members are very like well-esteemed members of society. Right. People that have enough income to have a hobby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but he also had a degree in science. Okay. Science. Science. He decided to go into the room and explain why girls have periods to quote unquote Joe. All right. (laughs) While Janet and Margaret just happened to be present. Because remember, even their mom didn't necessarily know what the whole period thing was at the start. I remember. So apparently neither Janet nor Margaret said a word as Hugh went through his quote, very clear and tactfully worded description of the whole business. (laughs) (laughs) so awkward which was extremely unlike them to not interrupt and be like the two of them were just like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) and even guy said that he learned quite a bit too that (laughs) but again i'm picturing it was all around a good day yeah yeah i'm picturing hugh pincott to be played by hugh grant and his very clear (laughs) and tactful words just being um um um, well do you see um the thing is uh, uh, Anyway, with every new development in this case, there was more and more reason to be skeptical. It was like every 
piece of evidence lent 10 other avenues that this thing could have been <laughs> fake, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so to believe that it was just, in fact, Janet loving all this attention that this case was bringing to her. Uh-huh. But one thing that they came to realize was that a lot of the new developments were either suggested or directly asked for. Okay. Such as when Peggy would say things like, next thing is going to happen next thing that's going to happen is this book will fly off the shelf and then it would leave the room and like you know the book will fly yeah and that happened a few times and when they started asking for intelligent responses again not when guy did it but when morris did it it started to knock remember mm-hmm. it was answering fucking matt's questions and everything yeah. and now the voice which they had asked for the spr members there that night decided that they would ask for what was Apparently, the holy grail of poltergeist activity. They wanted Joe to make a solid object pass through solid matter, which was literally one of the first things that happened in this story. But because they hadn't physically seen it happen, like, you know, the Legos and the marbles that just seemed to fall from the ceiling or like pop out into thin air and hit them and stuff. Mm -hmm. But because it would happen so fast or like above them, Mm -hmm. they didn't like see it materialize. They just... You know, so again, they couldn't 100% disprove it. So they gave Janet a pair of slippers, which she said disappeared. Like they gave her these, they turned around, walked out. And then they heard Janet being like, oh my God. And they turned around that the slippers were nowhere to be found. But later they were found between her mattress and the bed. Okay. And then a pillow was given to her and they were like, okay, make this disappear. And then it was found suspiciously in the front garden later directly under janet's window okay but guy and morris jumped to janet's defense here stating that janet's window is extremely hard to open and would have been impossible to get open without any of them hearing okay and i can attest to that to a certain degree because there would have been wooden windows in the cold wet winter in england you know and so like the old wood did used to swell so even that like like our back gate back home like you couldn't open that like well i couldn't when i was a child mm-hmm. uh, during certain times of the year so like that does happen but anyway okay david robertson stayed that night and the following morning december 15th the girls were too tired to go to school so david decided he would stick around and do some more experimenting he wanted to see if janet could levitate because apparently she had been doing this oh okay Yeah, and again, it's another one of those, like, staples in historical poltergeist cases. So he suggested, just start jumping on your bed and see what happens. To get it going? (laughs) Yeah, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like winding up an old car or something. I (laughs) guess. But she was like, sure. Yeah. So, of course, the voice instructed him that he had to leave the room. And he shut the door as per the voice's instructions. But as soon as he shut the door he started to hear Janet jumping up and down on her bed. Mm -hmm. Like, very audible squeaks from the springs. Right. Then came Janet's voice. I'm being levitated! (laughs) (laughs) Followed by a loud crash, and the only sounds from Janet were faint gasps and little cries. David was trying to open the door because she she was no longer responding to him, but the door was wedged shut. Margaret started to panic, And she ran in to get Peggy next door. But by the time the two came back, the door opened, like allowed David to open it. Yeah. And Janet was just lying on her bed looking dazed. She said quietly, 
I've been floating in the air. And this was followed by a guttural, fuck off you. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Which seems to be aimed at Peggy next door, which yeah. was totally out of character because they all loved Peggy next door. She was like their auntie. Mm-hmm. So either way, Janet seemed to be physically fine. So they asked her to try doing it again. This time with a pen that Peggy next door had given her so she could draw a light or so she could draw a circle around the light in the center of the ceiling. So again, they closed the door and again, there was the creak of the bed springs as Janet began to bounce up and down and up and down and up and down. And then Janet gave a few cries and gasps and then silence. The bed stopped creaking and Janet could no longer be heard. The silence went on too long for David's liking, but again, when he tried to open the door, it refused to budge. Mm -hmm. So this went on for a while. The whole time, the three of them are calling it from the door. They're like, Janet, are you okay? Are you okay? And then suddenly they heard what they heard Janet seemingly land back on her bed and the door opened mysteriously and they all ran in to find Janet exhausted on her bed. She said, oh, phew, I've been through the wall. What the fuck? I went into your bedroom. It was all white. She was talking to Peggy next door, whose bedroom was not all white. Yeah. And Peggy kind of thought she was just playing with her. But again, like Janet had never really played tricks. So it was like, what the fuck? So Peggy went back into her house next door to check out her bedroom, make sure that all the color was still there. (laughs) (laughs) Paid good money for that. (laughs) While David was trying the next experiment with janet so peggy went into her room and it was just as she had left it earlier that morning like she had already made a note of the fact that she had cleaned all the upstairs bedrooms Mm -hmm. and was downstairs cleaning the kitchen when when margaret called in so everything was neat and tidy and like where it should be but as she was leaving she noticed that there was something out of place it was a book fun and games for children Now, again, going back to episode one, this was the book that was always on the mantelpiece in Janet and Margaret's bedroom. It was Um. one of the first things that got thrown at them, I believe. Anyway, she had known for a fact that it was in there because David would be taking note of like anything that might potentially cause injury in the room, you know. Mm -hmm. So they knew it was there. And now all of a sudden it's in the next house. Um. Right. So in the meantime, David had given Janet one of the big cushions from one of the armchairs, like the actual seat part of the chair that probably couldn't fit through a window and said, here, make this one disappear. Okay. And he was hardly out of the room before he heard Janet cry out excitedly. He hadn't even closed the door. So when he turned around, he saw that one of the curtains was gone, just disappeared. And so was the cushion. Interesting. They managed to find the cushion later on, on the roof of the house. Whoa. Now, I don't know if they ever actually found the curtain, and I don't even really know how they found the cushion, but they were outside witnesses this time. Oh. Like, literally, people outside yeah, yeah. that saw what was yeah. going on. So what happened? What did they see? I'm about to tell you. Okay. Fucking... <laughs> so one of the witnesses was Hazel Short, who was actually a lollipop lady. Just oh, like my mom. Like your mama. Yeah. Lollipopping so, it outside. Lollipopping it. So well, that's a crosswalk guard for anybody who doesn't know. But this lady actually kept her lollipop stick in 
the garden of number 84, like just behind the wall so she could just walk up and grab it and go mm-hmm. like lollipop. So she described what she saw as I was standing there looking at the house when all of a sudden a couple of books came flying across and hit the window. It was so sudden. I heard the noise because it was so quiet. There was no traffic. It made me jump. When I looked up, a candy striped pillow hit the window as well. That came after the books and I was, I don't know if I was frightened or not, just fascinated. Fascinated. <laughs> the wind- Yeah. The windows were still closed. Then, after a little while, I saw Janet. I don't know if there's a bed underneath that window, but she was going up and down as though someone was tossing her up and Whoa. down bodily in a horizontal position. Like as if someone had gotten a hold of her legs and back and was just throwing her up and down. Wow. I definitely saw her come up about window height, but I thought she if she was bouncing, she bounced from her feet. <laughs> right. She like would, normal people. Yeah. She wouldn't be able to get enough power to bounce off her back to come up that high. My friend could see her as well. We both could see her. And Morris and Guy went to that friend, but she refused to speak of anything. Mrs. Short went on. It was as though her arms and legs were going everywhere. I mean, if you were doing it yourself, you'd keep your arms and legs to your body, if you know what I mean. Uh, uh? I don't know why she said that. <laughs> but she was definitely lying horizontal, coming mm-hmm. up and down. So, as well as uh, Mrs. Short, there was also a local tradesman who was literally walking around door to door, being like, any jobs need doing like you know yeah, yeah. What, what do you need and i had actually watched both of these people were also interviewed on tv i was trying to find the interviews again but obviously i couldn't if i find them i'll post them on our instagram but uh the tradesman said i saw this child whom i know to be janet well inside the room and in the first instance i saw her head bobbing up and down as if she were bouncing up and down on her bed then articles came swiftly across the room towards the window. They were definitely not thrown at the window as the articles were going around in a circle, hitting the window and then bouncing off to continue at the same height in a clockwise direction. Hmm. If the articles had been thrown, they would have just hit the window and fallen down. Right. The articles appeared to be books, dolls and linen articles. There were five or six articles. <laughs> he just learned that word that day. Yeah. And by their movement, they acted as though they were attached to a piece of elastic. They appeared to be traveling with considerable force and all were going around at the same time. The child then appeared on two occasions, floating horizontally across the room and twice her arm banged forcibly against the window. I was frightened at that time that she would come through the window. At the same time, as the articles were going around the room, the curtains were blowing upward into the, into the room. The whole episode was very violent and I was very upset and disturbed by what I saw. Very soon after the episode, I was outside the house talking to someone about the strange events when Janet came out. She looked very vacant and certainly not like a child who had just been playing around. But as well as this, they just happened to see this cushion just appear on the roof. Wow. And they were just like, what the fuck? I think it was the cushion that drew their attention to it. like right. Or the tradesman anyway. So, (laughs) Guy and Morris, ever the men of science, they had, like, specific debunking measurements, methods for this. 
both of these grown men tried to bounce on this small single bed <laughs> to measure how high they could go lying down. So like, science. Because science. They didn't even bounce. But, like, just picture these guys trying to, like, jump from feet to back while, like, Morris was holding the measuring tape and then, like, <laughs> vice versa. Yeah. And they then later tried to get the cushion out the window and onto the roof, which Guy did manage to do, but he almost fell out the window oh, in the process. Like, <laughs> like, well, I, I, I did, I, I attempted to do it, but I, I almost fell. <laughs> All in the name of science, good old chap. Anyway, over the next few days, at least, the, the voice had started to be less shy around them and others. And this gave them the opportunity to really study Janet while the voice was talking. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely coming from her. And although her mouth would move when the voice spoke, she wasn't making full on lip movement, which would make words. Right. Right. Like normal talking. Yeah. And this is on video, too. Like you can see her mouth is definitely moving behind her bigger teeth but they also said that like 95 percent of what the voice would say was just absolute rubbish or cursing them out or whatever but there was a couple of times when it would zone in on morris and say fairly mundane things but things that only he would know mm -hmm. like it would randomly one day it just said i seen you listening to our tapes in the morning at breakfast time like and morris that was literally the only time he ever had to listen to his tapes yeah but he would say specific things like with the radio on in the background yeah and like morris knew it was true yeah some of the other experiments they did was filling janet's mouth with water mm. then taping her mouth shut i remember that in <laughs> yeah. the movie yeah yeah but the voice was always able to reply under these conditions mm -hmm. although they did admit that it struggled sometimes and like i guess they had read up on their ventriloquism uh-huh because as well, they did have a lot of people that they would call. Like there was one particular professor, Professor Haystead or something. And they would call him for advice or like to say, you know, hey, what do you think about this or that? And he or somebody told them the hardest word or the hardest noise for a ventriloquist to make is the B sound. So he's like, get him to say like, you know, bobbing for bananas, bananas. or something like. Yeah. And watch Janet's mouth. But he did. He could do it like. Or the voice could do it. And as well as these, like, you know, simple little experiments that they did. Like, Janet had told them that the voice wasn't coming. It was coming from her, but it wasn't coming from in her. It was coming from behind her. Uh -huh. All right. Yeah. And she said that she would feel vibrations on the back of her neck every time it spoke. So Morris thought, well, let's strap a bike. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> let's... <laughs> Let's strap a microphone to the back of her neck and see. <laughs> Let's just cycle over yeah. this little girl. I'll show you vibrations on the back of your neck. <laughs> anyway, they did. They, they strapped this mic to the back of her neck and they managed to record the voice and got Janet to repeat what the voice had said so they could compare the two and they found that there was indeed vibrations on the back of her neck, according to the microphone. That's wild. And the voice was also way louder than Janet's. Um, some other experiments that they would do, like back to when the kids were asleep, they would like tickle their feet and their armpits and stuff. But again, it's like in the name of science. So, like, <laughs> and 
just like everything else that happened in the case, just as they got used to one new phenomena, something else would pop up. This time it took a rather dark turn though. On the 23rd of December, the family's two pet goldfish were found dead in their tank, which was pretty upsetting for the kids, but like, goldfish die, right? Yes. Well, when they were all gathered around, the voice piped up, I done that. And when Morris asked him how and why, it responded, I electrocuted the fish by accident. How? It said it used powerful spirit energy, but it wasn't actually electricity. But then it was like, as Guy pointed out in the book, the voice wasn't willing to uh, go on and give them like a full on physics lesson like in right. other dimensional fucking electricity or whatever. But two days later, Christmas Day, the family found their pet budgerigar. Did you know that that's the actual name for a budgie? No. Also, yeah. oh, budgie is a shortened name for that kind of bird. Budgerigar. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, science. Yeah, science. <laughs> the family found their budgerigar, whose name was Whitey, dead in his cage in the living room. Wowzers. Christmas Day. And this time the voice didn't say anything. So again, they didn't draw any attention to it either. But it soon turned its attention on Janet once again. She was sitting by the window in the living room. I think this was on Christmas Day too. When they suddenly heard her cry out. One of the curtains had wrapped itself around her neck and was attempting to strangle her. Jesus. Yeah. And then a few days later, it happened again. Only this time, Margaret and Peggy, Margaret and Peggy next door were right there as it happened. And as well, this time, the curtain literally ripped off the, the wire where it was hanging from mm-hmm. and lassoed itself around or lassoed itself around Janet's neck and started strangling her. Then that night, her bed sheets started to attack her. Like, literally, they were trying to wrap her up so she couldn't move. And then her dressing gown started, like... Jesus, yeah, what the like, fuck? The most, like, insane shit. And regular Peggy lost her shit at this point, And she said, oh, you bastard, you fucking bastard. <laughs> but then immediately apologized because she knew that Morris or Guy would have heard her on tape swearing. Ah, uh, yeah. And even with all this bullshit that the ghost had put her through or whatever it was, and her ex-husband... All that stuff that she had gone on or that she had gone through, Margaret turned around and said to her, that's the first time I ever heard you swear. Wowzers. Yeah, Are right? you serious? So it was a big deal in that wow. house that regular Peggy started right. effing and blinding. So on New Year's Eve, again, this is all within a very short time span. On New Year's Eve, the cupboard in the corner of the living room started jumping back and forth like Beauty and the Beast style <laughs> and banging against the wall. Now, the Nottinghams next door were having a New Year's Eve party, but regular Peggy was freaked out so much that she asked Margaret to go and get Vic to come in. For what? I don't know. Vic, again, is Peggy next door's husband. But Vic did come in and with one of his party guests who stayed by the door in the living room while Vic checked out the house. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't really know what Vic was trying to find or accomplish, but the activity didn't stop the whole time. And the Hodgsons are just there talking to this randomer while their fucking furniture is bouncing around the corner. Like, yeah. And regular Peggy walks over to the sideboard to start like taking stuff off so it doesn't break if this cupboard goes over. And while she's there, a picture comes off the wall and hits her on the head. Then the whole sideboard tips forward 
Then the sofa does a flip. Then the armchairs flip over. Then one of the curtains is ripped off the window again. All the while, this guy is just standing in the doorway like, so what's your New Year's resolution? <laughs> like, I was thinking about start, starting to cycle to work every Wednesday, maybe. If, Stri- it's, not, if it's not raining, of Striping course. Striping a bike to the back of my neck. <laughs> I've got a 12-year-old, actually. I'm just going to strap the bike to the back of my neck, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the, the shit didn't stop. But eventually, Peggy was like, oh, here, Vic, you and your friend go back to the party. <laughs> and then she said, like, she asked who was doing all this business. And a voice that they knew as Fred, because remember, there's, like, multiple voices that all sound very similar. Fred replied that it wasn't him. But Tommy, who was supposedly a five-year-old boy. And when Peggy asked Fred to ask Tommy to stop doing what he was doing, she was told that he would try, but he can't get through to Tommy. Hmm. And apparently, Tommy told Fred that he didn't like the machinery in the bedroom, which was referring to a video camera that had been set up in the hopes of capturing some video evidence. Okay. But as Guy pointed out in the book, like the camera had already been set up like three or four nights there. And like the girls didn't seem to mind outwardly like they were so used to this kind of thing by now. So it did seem that it was Tommy. And later that night, as they were all in bed, it was around 3 a.m. because it was New Year's Eve. So everybody stayed up late. Uh Regular Peggy being typical mom just had to bring it up again. She was asking why it had carried on like that. And the voice again insisted, it wasn't me, it was Tommy, because of all the machinery. And just as Peggy was drifting off, Fred said, get them out before Tommy gets an hold of them. He can be dangerous with a knife. Hmm. So do you remember earlier on in the story when Reg Peg had gotten rid of a load of furniture that she had taken from the father-daughter murder-suicide house up mm. the road? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well... She had also taken a plastic bag full of knives. What the which fuck? Which she had put away upstairs until recently bringing them down to the kitchen to use. Still in the plastic bag. Oh, God. This is what the voice was referring to. Okay. The following morning, Peggy was downstairs letting the kids have a lie-in because they had all been up late the previous night when she heard what sounded like something metallic being thrown across the room. Then shuffling footsteps... But nobody came downstairs until over an hour later. It was Janet and she was terrified. There's a knife following me around, she told her mum. Oh my god. A knife following me around, that poor girl. Yeah, I know. And again, it's like, how did they not include this in the movie? Yeah. So Janet's version of what happened was, I woke up at about quarter to ten and I waited until ten passed. And then I come creeping downstairs. All of a sudden, when I was halfway down, this knife was pointing up at me. It was like dancing around on its own. And I went back up again, right? (laughs) Because a fucking knife was dancing on the stairs. And it came behind me, right? Like it started coming behind me when I went back up again. Then I come rushing down to tell mum. And then, so that was that. Like Peggy went... She walked upstairs, couldn't find this knife. But when she was coming back down the stairs, she found it sitting bang on in the center of the staircase mm-hmm. where she had just walked past. I don't know what she did about it. 
she just like acknowledged it <laughs> that yeah. was it and then later that day as margaret was talking about the incident over dinner she was i think just trying to comprehend exactly what had happened the knife that she was holding in her hand like her fork and knife the knife just disappeared like from her grip from her like hand. it was just gone and it was never seen again like they never saw this knife ever wow. again it's just out in the ether just gone yeah again all of the regular activity never stopped the constant banging light bulbs blowing one after another literally they changed the same light 10 times in a row why they kept doing it i don't know but every time they would put in a new lamp or a new bulb it would blow wallpaper was being ripped off the walls bedclothes whipped off the beds janet's crochet needle would bend as she was trying to like, oh what the fuck yeah, while so, she was using it yeah so like she would be you know trying to line it up or whatever you do with crocheting and it would bend out of the way <laughs> like, wow. what a dick and then the voice just suddenly started to manifest through margaret so now there was two nonsense voices thrown into the daily sounds of barking whistles knocks bangs everything and two just fucking grumbling old men <laughs> thrown into the mix yeah other things had happened too that they thought were funny and i did not like one night as the hodgson's laid in bed they all watched as a slipper did a little dance on the end of janet's bed <laughs> literally like a hand puppet like what folding the in the middle fuck? and stuff yeah and th so that yeah that was kind of funny but <laughs> <laughs> you didn't think that was funny <laughs> yeah and then another night though this freaked me out a poster fell off the wall and then slowly slid up the end of janet's bed as if the person in the poster was peeking over the oh bed oh my at them. fucking god i got chills reading that like Ugh. i literally like that's fucking horrific and it was like <laughs> donny osmond or something too <laughs> like <laughs> awful so I, again i just thought this was horrific and they had all experienced the sudden breezes and cold chills all except for guy i think mm -hmm. and peggy had seen a partial apparition as she was walking up the stairs one day just the bottom half of a man's trousers no shoes no top half just like the shins <laughs> that's weird yeah and then on january 15th which was peggy's birthday janet went in to use the restroom and suddenly came running out screaming with her clothes still undone and she claimed to have been sitting on the loo when someone tapped her on the shoulder and when she turned around she saw the word shit had been written on the wall in shit <gasps> yeah and that's where i'm gonna leave it this year <laughs> <laughs> like fucking gross another shit incident was one day when one of the girls was in the restroom because remember that's like off the kitchen yeah and peggy peggy said that the door was clearly closed and then she just randomly got hit by something and she turned poo. around. It was a piece of poo tightly wrapped up in bunches of toilet paper <sighs> that seemed to have come through the door. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Weird yeah. shit. And then, like, another day, um, the words, I think it was just, I am Fred, was written now in insulating tape. Okay. That seemed to have been taken from this new researcher, David Robertson, who stayed there. Yeah. Um, so, like, just weird shit was starting to happen. But... <laughs> I'll say yeah yeah definitely <laughs> tune in next week for the conclusion whether the story is done or not i don't care i'm finishing it <laughs> <laughs> no um because i know that like in most poltergeist cases the story just kind of peters out mm -hmm. at the end it's just like there's no defining boom this is the end of this 
the family just kind of got on with it. But anyway, every time I read something else, I'm like, what? How? Like, what? <laughs> and again, it's the reactions. Like, they're all just so fucking fed up and tired of it already. Right. Like, and this is this four and a half normal. months. Yeah, this is four and a half months of mm-hmm. dealing with this shit nonstop. Like, yeah. So anyway, guys, thank you all very much for listening. Sorry for the abrupt ending, but I am late for work. <laughs> um, and yeah, so do all the shit. Follow us on Instagram, leave us reviews and, and stuff. nice things like that. And uh, see you next week. Okay, bye. Goodbye. Happy Monday.